So our scripture reading this morning is from Joshua chapter 23. This is Joshua's farewell to the leaders. You can follow along with the text and the PowerPoint behind me or if you have your individual Bible, I invite you to follow along with me. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourself have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all this nation for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them up for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God had promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nation. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousands because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivor of this nation that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord has, your God has given you. Now I am about to go way off all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised, you have come to you. So he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate, if you violate the covenants of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. This is the word of God. Thanks, Eric. Well, there's a, po a podcast called It Was Said. I'm not sure how many episodes are there are of it, but it's basically of speeches that have been given, some kind of memorable speeches in uh, American history. 
And maybe some that you'd be familiar with. There are certainly speeches all throughout history that, that we are familiar with. And they, they move us, they stir us, uh, they shape us as a nation. And maybe sometimes you have speeches in your own mind that you can recall as well. I, I'm not sure it's necessarily a, a baccalaureate or something. Does anybody remember what was said at their senior speech high school? Nobody remembers? Maybe there's a time in your mind, though, you can recall uh, a defining moment that somebody said something to you and it just kind of stuck with you or you have an image, even if it's not the specific words of something. Um, I know for me, uh, I played uh, a lot of sports growing up and I, I managed to tie into some pretty good basketball teams and during my high school years, especially my senior year, Believe me, I was just a role player. I had nothing to do uh, of any significance on the team. Uh, but we were, we were a good team and had, had the right mix. And we had a, a coach who was very passionate and, and inspired. Um, his coaching uh, techniques are, are ones that um, somebody in Indiana might be familiar with from the past as well. It involved throwing balls at people's heads when they weren't looking because they weren't keeping their eye on the ball, that kind of thing. Um, but in particular, we were supposed to, we were undefeated playing against a team that we were really, we were better than the team, but just the matchups weren't working. And I remember the halftime speech, not so much the words, but just the, the mannerisms, the tone, some, some of the words, which I can't repeat, but some of the, some of the tones and mannerisms that he brought to, to the table as well. And it was this mix of inspiration that was compelling us to go out and play better and just fear <laughs> if we didn't go out and give everything that we had in the next half. And it's just, it's there, I can remember. I remember the locker room, I remember everything about it. Part of why that was important as well is because this man happened to be a new follower of Christ. Um, he had just become a, a, a Jesus lover, just like I had not, not far before. And based on the words and, and the tone of voice and everything after, afterwards, he was caught up in the moment. He said some things that he regretted. <laughs> and he came to me because I was, I was somebody who was serious about my faith and trying to live it out. And he apologized. He said, Mark, I'm really sorry. I know I didn't do the Lord good justice in that moment, and I apologize for some of the things that I said. Those are very shaping moments for me. I was somebody who uh, was inspired to go out and do the best, and by the way, I, I missed the game-winning potential shot in that game. It, the play was not designed to go to me, and it did. It was clear why it wasn't supposed to go to me as it went up and clunked off, just, you know, left of center, and, uh, and we lost. It was only a loss that we had for the entire season. Um, and I, was, I really appreciated that. And part of the reason that I listened to his words was not the combination of inspiration and fear that came out, but the relationship that we had developed too. And the, the meaningfulness of this man investing in the next generation and trying to mold us into be the best people that we could be out on the basketball court, but in life as well. And so when we come to the end of Joshua, you, you know you've been going through this journey, but only, it's only a fraction of what the people who have been wandering with him through the desert and then now into the conquest have been experiencing. So when he's getting up to speak, he says, I'm old, I'm advanced in years, now I'm going to give you my final words. 
you'd be holding on to those. You'd be remembering. This is the an It Was Said podcast moment for the people of Israel as he gets up to speak. So for Joshua 23 and 24, to bring our series to a close, it's really a farewell speech from this man of God who's talking to the next generation. These are final words from a faithful servant. So it's really part one. And the first thing that we see is kind of a little more of an observation than something from his speech in and of itself. But as we read here in verses 1 and 2, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well-advanced years, summoned all Israel, all Israel, the elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm old and well-advanced in years. So he's kind of marked, this is an important moment. He finally have rest. And Joshua is the one who's been their leader, the human leader throughout it all. And he says, look, I've made it to the end. And as we see next, I'm about to go the way of the earth. And so here's just an observation or an encouragement from the scripture. And that's finish well. I think this is a great moment to pause, especially on Father's Day too, for uh, people who are able to enter either into the, the physical benefit of being a father and challenge, but also the spiritual one too. You can be a spiritual father to many if you're not a biological father. But either way, Joshua was faithful to the end. He finished well. Don't you want to be able to say at some time when you're old and well advanced in years, you may feel like that now, that you have something to impart because you have fought the good fight. You've stayed faithful to the end. I know, again, and it could be just a personal value, but I think it's a biblical one, that I long for and desire to see men and women, of course, as well, of faith who are faithful to the end. That, to me, is an extremely high priority. And I remember hearing Su Chang Ra, who's a professor, I think, now at North Park in, in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, um, speaking about how our culture tends to elevate uh, sometimes the younger and the more successful. But for him, and it could be partly cultural, but I think it's a biblical notion too, what they elevate is those who have persevered to the end. Not the people who have the, you know, the hip uh, clothing and, and the big churches and who are speaking in their 30s to a bunch of people who are looking for the way to replicate what they've done. But he says instead, my br grandmother who had bruises on her knees because she prayed all the way till her final breath, and nobody would ever invite her to speak at a conference. That's his hero, finishing well. I have always sought to pursue older men in my life who will invest in me, and some of you know Alex Aronis, who moved just a few years ago to San Diego. He served as a Navy chaplain. In fact, he, he remembers meeting John McCain after he was released. He was the chaplain who'd received and was processing some of those who'd been released and didn't even recognize John McCain had gone to the academy with him as well. He's a man who I pursued because he's up into his up, upper 80s now and he's been faithful to the end. He's finishing well. If you read the whole Bible, there's a lot of stories of people who don't finish well. It's kind of a thud. There's even passages in the New Testament that talk about this too. You think of seed that's been sown and maybe 
automatically grows up, but then when things get difficult as life has it, it gets choked out. But the one that Jesus says, this one of four seed that is really the one that he longs to see and those who receive the message is the one whose roots grow deep. And there's all kinds of return on that investment in the heart of somebody who's embraced the gospel. When a 28-year-old captain, and I was a brand new believer, again too, in the very same situation, pulled me aside and said, Mark, I just want to invest in you. I want to spend, you know, one, one, one day a week just talking about life with you. I don't think he had a plan, any idea what he was doing whatsoever. He just saw somebody he wanted to invest in, said, look, I'm going to share my life, my my life's journey with you and let's study God's word together and talk and pray and you can ask any question you want to. Uh, Brad Schultz, who was called to ministry, was actually leaving to go to this little church, Willow Creek in Chicago. Some of you may recognize that name too, but he was one of the only casualties in the Gulf War as a C-5 on Ramstein Air Base. Uh, didn't work properly and crashed and he burned to death. And hearing that story, when I was just a freshman in college and didn't know that it happened, this is before cell phones too, my heart of course was torn asunder. And I remember the embrace of my father as I broke down in tears the first time I'd seen him and said, we lost Brad. Thinking, I want to be like him to other people. I, I want to invest in other people. Whoever God puts in my life, even the ones who are rejecting me, I'm going to pursue them. And even more than that, I want to be faithful to the end. Brad went with a stack of Bibles. He said, my mission is to give these to as many people as possible. And he told the, the leader at the time, I have this feeling I'm not coming back. But it didn't, he was going to finish well. And he did. For him, it was 28 years old, which at the time, frankly, seemed old and advanced in years. <laughs> now I think how young. But he finished well. I mean, don't you want to be like Joshua at the end and you're creaking and you know it's coming? You say, I've done it. I've fought the good fight. There's ups and downs along the way, of course, but I've finished well. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's, that's how he kind of couches this. And we know that he's been their leader, the faithful one, along in the journey through the ups and downs. So he's got some things to share. And you would hope there's this relational capital. You know, there's positional capital. I'm the teacher, you're the student. Be quiet, sit down, and listen. Because that's what you have to do or I'll give you an F. That's positional authority, right? Relational authority is the kind that comes along when somebody has that position of authority, but they've, they've, they've earned it with you as well because they care, they've invested in you, they've, they've been alongside you, and maybe they're difficult or, or strict, but you respect them. Joshua had all these nations, this, this whole nation of Israel in both, both of those situations. He had, he had the authority because God had given it to him as the right hand of Moses now, and then throughout this conquest, favoring him. And he'd also built up that relational capital. So if that person at the very end of your days, and you know that he's about to leave and you're the next generation, is going to open his mouth, you're going to listen to what he says. And that's, that's where we are in this story. So what does he say? What does he want to say to this generation he's about to leave behind? A few lessons he's passing on. The first thing that we see in these verses that come next in verses 3 through 5 
is a reminder, as we've seen all throughout Joshua, God fights your battles. I'm an old dude. I'm looking at you ahead, and I know that you're going to have difficulties ahead. Here's what I want you to know. God's going to fight your battles. This is a refrain we've seen again and again throughout the book of Joshua. We have this kind of human-divine interaction. We've got responsibilities. There are things that we need to do. You do those things, and then God takes care of the rest. That is a control issue that's very difficult to embrace. And as we've said before, then let God do his role. And when you start trying to do his, no wonder you're frustrated. No wonder you feel like you can't do anything. Well, you probably can't in that case. You can't win some of these victories that you long for, but you can be faithful. You can, you can attend, you can attend to the things he's told you to attend to do. I mean, he says some of this here. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember now how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remained, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. See this interplay again, too? The Lord fought your battle, and the nations that I conquered. And he was in charge of the military, and they set strategies. But at the end of the day, if God's favor wasn't upon them, nothing was going to happen. He knows God ultimately fights the battles. He really does fight those battles. Can you imagine the freedom that comes from that with the things that are well beyond the scope of your ability to shape? as well as the responsibility that you still hold in tension with it. He's given you something to do. And so you have freedom both to release some of those things you can't control and freedom to do the things that you can. At least that's what Joshua's experienced. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He'll push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. And then he says... Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And so Joshua wants him to know, as he's repeated again, that obedience to God's word matters. This is language that's been all throughout the book of Joshua again. I don't know if you've noticed kind of the, the repeated messages that come all throughout, right from the beginning of Joshua 1. Be careful to obey God's word. Meditate on it. Think about it. Let it consume some of your brain space, which oftentimes is being consumed by other things, so that your mind is taking in those things that are shaping you according to what God says is good and right and noble and lovely because there's all kinds of competing elements out there that would draw you in a different direction. As we've said multiple times, this book of the law, there's, there's a, a right and a wrong that God has set up this is the pathway that you walk in. Follow this. That passage in Proverbs 4, you know, don't, don't swerve to the left or to the right. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. God's put boundaries around for us about thinking right and wrong, good and bad, in his word. He's given us all the principles that we need for it. And he says... Joshua, that obeying it really does matter. Don't just be listeners to the word. Do it. If you, if, you, if you don't do it, you're surrendering the joy and the benefit of flourishing in God's economy. 
finish well by knowing God fights your battles, by being obedient to God's word. And then he gives a pretty stark warning, and this is a, a pretty meaty section here. Um, just to remind you a part of it, he says, don't associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. They will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And this is what Joshua has learned. You have to beware of idolatry. And that's because competing affections come with a high price. I mean, this isn't a statement uh, that, you know, this, this nation is ethnically and inherently bad. It's that they are worshiping false gods who will ensnare and entrap you because they're substitute versions of the real God. They're counterfeits. And all throughout, not just Joshua so much, but the Bible as a whole, this issue of idolatry is very, very central. Who or what will you worship? What is dictating for you and guiding you in terms of the affections of your hearts? Or even what's saying this is right and this is wrong again? This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where God has said, I've defined what reality is, and then Satan begins whispering into the ears of Adam and Eve, and they begin to redefine, in a sense, the reality among them, Satan doubts whether God's character is actually good or whether he's trying to keep them from experiencing all this life has to offer. And yet he's protecting them. He's given them boundaries. He said you need these things in order to flourish because once you go beyond it, there'll be pain and suffering and sorrow and heartache. And that's what we see happen. And this is what Joshua is saying. That word still holds true. You need to hold fast to what he has revealed. And as soon as your affections start getting involved, I mean, you know what it's like. You see a girl that's looking pretty, and maybe she's worshiping a God that's going to take your heart in a completely different direction, but that doesn't matter. Oh, you're strong enough to go ahead and enjoy that woman's affection without being drawn away. No, you're not. You're not. It's a story as literally as old as the earth. And, you know, this would be repeated even in the New Testament, too. If, if God is your God, if, if, you're, if you're walking in the ways of God's word, then you can't, you can't mix in relationship darkness and light. This doesn't work. Don't let your hearts be drawn into a relationship where somebody is not serving the same Lord that you are. That feels like a hard teaching, doesn't it? It feels un callous and uncaring. But it's a protection, according to God's word, so that you can flourish well. Because ultimately speaking, you're going to be serving somebody or something. And if God is the God who's created all things and said, this is, I am the God you are to worship. In fact, this is why he took Israel out and gave them some of these covenants that we've been looking at to say, this is what it looks like. Don't be, don't be torn away from that. 
And one of the ways that happens most readily is in the context of, of romance, oftentimes. But it's just a picture of the heart's affections, too. And Joshua, this old guy who hopefully you see the value in listening to what he's saying, is telling them, if you want to end well, these are my final words. Beware of idolatry. There are competing affections out there, and you can follow them, but there's a high price that's going to be paid. It'll catch up with you at one point or another. Maybe it's not always measurable. There's a price. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm just the old guy who's led you all the way through the you know, promised land and everything. And I've seen what happens. He knew the whole generation that didn't listen to this. So give weight to the words of this faithful servant. He goes on then in verses 14 to 16 to say, look, effectively, what he says is God is faithful on the journey. That's been the, the message throughout that really the sermon series is, you know, faithful on the journey. He's saying God is faithful. I've seen it. And so you need to make faithfulness your target as well. God's been faithful. You make faithfulness your target. I'm about to go the way of the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all good, all of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. God is faithful. Not one of these things has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he's threatened until he's destroyed you from this good land he's given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you. And you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. It feels a little bit like that, you know, that coach I was talking about too, this mixture of inspiration. You know, God's been good. He's feeling, he's, it's all good. And fear. Here's what happens if you don't. I mean, I think probably in our, our cultural context too, in where we are, we're light on the second part of that. That, that there's, there's a judgment side. There's a consequence side. What you sow, you will reap. And God, if he's faithful, he wouldn't be faithful if he didn't say, here are the terms of the covenant. I'm going to do this when you walk in my ways, and then here are the consequences if you don't. He wouldn't be loving. He wouldn't be a good father if he didn't act on those. And he's being faithful. And the encouragement on the human side of then is to be faithful on that journey as well. Make faithfulness your target. That's your aim. That's your goal. Being faithful to what God's called you to do. If you think about fathers and maybe just even parents as well, I know for those of us who love the Lord, we want our children to love the Lord also. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you, you're desperate for your kids to know that. And so you create uh, opportunities when they're young for them to hear and to listen and to grow and to see and to serve. And as they grow older, you feel like you have a little less control over that, but you still want to shape and mold and direct and guide. And I know you never stop being a parent until the day you breathe. And Joshua and all those who are here seem to be, if we look ahead to chapter 24, pretty faithful on the journey till the end, but it's not very many generations until Judges comes in and everybody's doing what is right in his or her own eyes. 
And that had to probably really be hard for that faithful generation to see a generation wandering away. But consider this. Ralph Davis says, the fact that a faithless generation can arise out of the tracks of a faithful generation should impress us with how vital it is for one generation to at least pass on the amazing story of God's saving power and fearful judgment to the next, whether they hear or refuse to hear, Ezekiel 2 to 3. While passing on the testimony of Yahweh's deeds cannot guarantee the fidelity of the next generation, the failure to pass it on will guarantee their unfaithfulness. Your job is to be faithful what God's called you to do, and then he'll fight those battles. But I can guarantee if in sometimes your disillusionment with how things are going, you stop aiming toward faithfulness, you're going to get exactly what you're aiming for. <laughs> So don't give up. Finish well. Press on. Love God. Invest in others. And, and, and don't just give the, the beautiful picture, but give the warnings also that there are hard things. And you know what? Fools will be fools. They may not listen. And you have to discern that. But your task is to be faithful on the journey. Now, let's face it, even if you want that to be the goal, do you sometimes fail? Even if you have the best of intentions, of course you will. You aim for that. But you want to be a great dad? Wonderful. A great caregiver? Fantastic. You get tired sometimes. You get frustrated. Something slips out. A misspoken word that's held on to until forever or something for all the good things that you've done. I mean, it's, it can become wearying, and that shouldn't be surprising because... Even the best of fathers still is a sinner. That's sin and fall short of God's glory. The, the posture of the heart, the, the quickness that I appreciated in that coach to come back and say, you know, what I said and how I said it was wrong was great. And that was refreshing. And that's an opportunity for those of us in positions of authority when we do wrong to say we're sorry with the genuineness of spirit, but, but we've still done some damage and we can't correct that. Because as much as we desire or aim to be faithful and we, we lean towards that, we'll always fall short of absolute integrity and total fidelity and complete faithfulness. Does that mean we don't aim for it? No. But just be, be aware. You are not the Savior of the world. You're not the Messiah. People aren't praying to you today. When they say, our Father in heaven, they don't have you in mind. <laughs> it, we still aim for that, for sure. But the good news, of course, is there's somebody who is in mind and somebody who has been faithful. And when I think about finishing well, then, there's a book in the Bible where we have the finishing part. It's Revelation, right? Like it's all... We're striving, we're aiming, we're, we're trying to understand that we can't earn access to God. It's what... How can we do that? It's because there's one who has been faithful, who's called our older brother, who's called the son of God, who, who went to the cross because we couldn't do all the things we were supposed to do. We couldn't be faithful enough, and yet he endures to the end, and he was faithful to the end. 
And you know that book, uh, Revelation and John at one point, in Revelation chapter 19, looks and he says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is a picture of the, the resurrected Christ. He's called Faithful. He finished well. But even in this, he's not quite done yet because he still has a task to do. And there's some judgment coming. Because justice involves not just mercy, but enacting what's right. And if you are a sinner like we all are, then the just penalty is suffering the judgment of Christ who comes. And so he's both just in executing that judgment, but only for those who have faith in him and trust in him, the justifier, the one who says, not guilty. But if you're not in Christ, if you haven't put your faith in him, right, trusted in him, said, my faithfulness is tied to his, then you're going to stand on your own. And all those judgments and pictures that are awful come true because he's faithful. With justice, he judges and makes war. On his robe and on his thigh, he is this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the captain in the fight, and he's the one who's finished well. So on a Father's Day, when some of you who are fathers think, oh, I've done a terrible job. I wish I could go back and do it. And you can't change the past. Be honest about that and receive the forgiveness in Christ. And trust and aim to be faithful on the journey ahead. Don't be defeated. But realize that no matter how faithful you are, you'll fail. And thank goodness there's one who does not. And he's not just somebody who comes alongside us as a friend, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's tattooed into the very person of who he is. Faithful, true, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, thank you for the opportunity on this day to think a little bit about what it means to be a faithful servant. We're grateful for the words of Joshua and hope that on some level we are moved to perhaps recommit to the faithfulness that we have been called to in the people who we have influence over, but especially as well to the faithfulness we've been called to demonstrate to you. Arrest our hearts so that you truly are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You, you are that by position, uh, whether we acknowledge it or not. But we want to have that relational authority with you too, Father, to step into the desire to serve under the one who's done so much for us and for that to shape and mold everything that we do. Forgive us, Father for times when we are won away by false affections, by idolatry. And none of us is guiltless this morning from that. We don't want those competing affections to come with a high price. And so we pray instead that once again we'd align ourselves with you and your ways, that we'd be reminded and not only finishing well, but that you fight our battles and that We'd be encouraged to be obedient to what you've revealed to us. Our hearts would be quick to identify and confess idolatry and that we'd make faithfulness our target 
because Christ, who is faithful and true, is the one who inspires us to do that and gives us the very strength. Give us your spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.